Ladies and gentlemen, in the last two days, you have been put into a crucible of fire. You have been tested under pressure and heat, and you have come out as pure titanium. It was definitely mind-blowing. Amazing experience. I've never been to anything like it. You can wake you up. It's spark of fire. Going full force ahead, following exactly what RJ said. This is the kind of program you want to go to if you want to bring a business to the next level. We want you to be a part of the titanium family. Welcome back to Pardon the Disruption. This is week four, one month anniversary to the show. My name is Jonathan Sanchez, a.k.a. Weasel, and I'm your host today. And I'm joined by some industry professionals, some real room shakers, the bosses of all bosses, uh, starting with my guy, Steve Trang. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing awesome. I am excited. I got to make up for last week's debacle. There was some, I don't know, some sort of shadiness. I'm here ready to defend myself. There we go. There we go. And to his virtual right, I have a newcomer for me. This is my first episode with him. But last week had, if I do say so myself, a hell of a first appearance on the show. Leon Barnes, how you doing today? I am great. I would totally agree with that, Weasel. And my half a point did not represent the game that I brought last <laughs> week, for sure. Listen, I'm going to bring some regulation to that, okay? We're going to make sure that this scoring system is going well for you, man. Love <laughs> uh, it. Thank you, Weasel. Welcome. Absolutely, absolutely. To his right, also, we have uh, week two center of uh, vote gate. You know, we don't have to really talk about it anymore. Uh, RJ Bates, how you doing today, man? What's going on, Weasel? Uh, glad to have you back. You missed a hell of a performance by me last week, and uh, <laughs> you're, you're way too kind to, to Leon. That was that was a, a very poor performance. <laughs> I, I do want to say that we're still in the introduction phase, and somehow you have fifty four percent of the votes. So, uh, I'm not sure what's going on. With that. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> to his right, also his virtual right, we got a guy who you don't have to guess what his favorite vowel is. Representing you. CJ, what's going on, man? What's good? What's good? It's happy to be back. Uh, I just want to give a special shout out before we get started, too, real quick. Not to the U family today, but to RJ's VAs. It's good to see you guys. Again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we know how the show works, um, but for those who are tuning in for the first time, if you're unfamiliar, the way that we do this, you have 45 seconds per individual. What will happen is we'll ask a question. They all take turns in debating the first uh, question. After that, we leave the room open for discussion. We'll give you guys two minutes, let you uh, talk a little bit of stuff to each other. I want to hear some real spicy things this week since I missed last week, all right? Anybody have any last-second uh, information or, you know, a little razzle-dazzle that they'd like to give to the audience or to each other before we start? I guess I should probably start a virtual agency like RJ so I can pop up the votes. That's really the lesson learned from last week. The, the people love me. I converted CJ's students to voting. <laughs> supercharged titanium, I, I guess. I All right. <laughs> All right. Titanium supercharged, man. Gentlemen, are we ready for the first question? Let's go. All right. Let's go. Question number one. 
Should you hire someone like Kyrie Irving, who's super talented, but only shows up half the time and gets paid full time? Let's go with Steve first. Uh, so for me, if uh, someone like Kyrie was available, I would only hire him uh, under as an independent contractor, as a consultant. I would not hire him as an employee, right? And I think the reason why is that if they came in, they would ruin the culture of the company. One guy that has one rule apply for him that doesn't apply for everybody else. I think it's going to be toxic. It's going to cause problems because if you make an exception for one person, you got to make an exception for everybody. So I brought him in. You be very clear. You're not allowed to talk to anybody else. You do your one thing. You get in, you get out, and you're a 1099. And by the way, there's no base, right? Like you eat what you kill in that role. Okay. Okay. With 10 seconds left. Okay. Leon Barnes, your opinion. Well, as the best baller uh, on this podcast here currently, uh, I think I'm the most qualified to answer this question. So, um, you know, Kyrie is one of those individuals that you love his talent. And we all have at some point in our business, we've all had a Kyrie on our team. So at some point you may hire someone with Kyrie type talent, but long term, as you continue to grow and scale your business, you can't have a bunch of Kyries, have great culture and win. It's just not possible. And I love the guy. I think he's a great talent. I think the same thing can be said about a lot of the employees that get you to a certain point, but aren't going to get you to ultimately where you want to be in your business. So no, I, I would not bring on a Kyrie Irving. Okay. Okay. RJ Bates, your opinions on a Kyrie Irving hire for yourself? Yeah, I'm going to contradict what I said last week with with Kevin Durant. I said, you know, absolutely, I'm going to bring on the the top talent. He's won championships with other organizations because I felt like KD just needed leadership, and that was his problem in some of his other organizations. I think the problem with Kyrie is is how, how can you lead someone who's not present? And, and for me, the, the fact that he's just not there, he, he's not willing to show up and put in the work and, and be that teammate, I, I mean, it's a non-negotiable for me. Uh, absolutely not. I would not want Kyrie Irving on my team. Even though he has won a championship with the Cavs, I just I don't think that his issues can be resolved through culture, through leadership, like Kevin Durant's issues could be. Okay. And last but certainly not least, CJ, let's get your opinion. Man, super simple for me. I don't work with people who lack effort. You know, uh, we all have people around us that are super talented, that have greatness within them, but uh, effort is something that you can't teach. Uh, you know, look, it's just not something that will work for me. If I'm going to go fly on a plane and I got to have a captain on that plane, I need somebody flying that plane that's been through some turbulence, hey guys, knows what to expect, to and can make sure that we can get that plane landed uh, safely. And I just don't see that with Kyrie. Uh, and we don't need to be jaded by talent sometimes. I mean, again, effort can get you a long way and you can build talent and skill on top of effort. So I'm with everybody else. I'm absolutely not hiring Kyrie to be on my team whatsoever. How the heck did we go 180 for all four of us here? I'm the only one here that would hire Kyrie. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Well, you're the one yeah. that's hire him, so you're the only one that's dead wrong on this. No, but hire. y'all three of you guys, like, <laughs> I, I would never hire KD because I, I would bring in KD, right? Like, he needs more leadership and this and that. And here you're talking about another person that's super talented. Like, oh, there's no way I'd bring him in. I Like I said, I would bring him in strictly, right, as a, a consultant. It wouldn't be, like, an employee, but 
I am shocked at how quickly the three of you guys took a 180 with Kyrie. It's apple. It's apples and oranges. You got two different 100%. players. K- yeah. KD can be led. He has shown that when you put him in great culture, he's a top 10 talent that can bring you a championship. Kyrie, to RJ's point, has won a championship. But in later in his career, he has shown to be a distraction and someone that's not dedicated to the team mission. He let his team ultimately go out there half the games of the season when he could have been out there with them. It's apples and oranges discussion. Somebody tag Gary Harper right now on this post and let him know Steve Trang is willing to hire Gary Harper and Gary Harper doesn't have to show up. Look, I, 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 think, I think it's simple, man. I mean, Kyrie is like a point production player. You know, if you got a player like Kyrie, he's going to go average 20, 25 points for you a game, maybe even sometimes more than that. We've all had players like that. But what about the folks who know how to play defense? They're two-way players. What about the people that know how to show up for company culture and support other people on the team and lead by example? I don't see that with Kyrie. He's not playing a lot of games. That's the guy that comes in. He's getting a ton of contracts, but he doesn't care about everybody else's success. He doesn't even care about his own success, really. Not going to show up on my team any day of the week. Yeah, the only <laughs> thing I was I was going to put in here, uh, the only other thing was that he's also a flat earther, and I can never work around a flat earther. <laughs> that just would not work for me. <laughs> All right. Well, this is one of those. Uh, he's in his own like, universe. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with all your points on Kyrie Irving, but that's a separate conversation. So one of those few times, it looks like where we all agree on something. Um, we did have a pretty cool comment from Cassie DeHaas. She said to play on a team, you have to run with the team and work to get better collectively. And I think we would all agree with that. But you got a crazy guy like RJ on that team. Like, How, how does that work? <laughs> all right, let's see. Let's take a look. We're going to take a second, a couple seconds here and look at the votes. Looks like, uh, Man, it looks like the boss man starting with a landslide victory, 53%. Steve Trank taking a W. Thank you. Whoa, hold on a second. <laughs> learn something. You guys can all learn you know, something. We, we could say this was an inside job, but he didn't score any points last week. So we got to <laughs> give him one, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take a, a little bit of credit because I came back and you won, Steve. So Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. All right, guys, you ready for question number two? Let's do it. All right. After you close your first deal, what's the next marketing move? Let's go backwards this time. Let's start with CJ first. Yeah, I don't think there is a next marketing move, quite frankly. I think part of the problem when people get their first check or they close their first deal, they're immediately looking to go buy more leads, to go buy more data, to go try to do this and do that. I think sometimes you got to understand you got to double down on the process that got you there in the first place, right? You know, how do you get better at your sales skills? You know, what information can you go buy that's non-marketing related? But if you take the same 1,000 leads, if you're better at sales, you're going to convert more leads based on those contacts. So I'm not going to spend that money on marketing. I'm going to spend that on systems, processes, and sales training. Okay, okay. With 20 seconds. Okay, somebody's getting used to this. Uh, let's jump there over to uh, Let's jump over to Leon. Like CJ said, I'm doubling down and even tripling down on what got me that first deal. I all too often see real estate investors when they get into this business, they start chasing uh, shiny objects and it can be the detriment and is the detriment to most. So I'm doubling down on what got me that first deal, continuing to master that craft before I bring on anything else. And if I am, my next move, if I am making a next move, it's to mentorship, it's to leadership. I'm looking at hiring a coach to continue to 
guide me seeking wise counsel to continue to grow my business, not chasing shiny objects. I'm doubling down. Okay. Okay. Uh, RJ Bates, your opinion. I, I thought there for a second, Leon was going to steal my answer. Uh, but the, the first thing that you do is, is you go get the, the freshest set of clothes. You're going to go get a haircut. Okay. <laughs> You're going to go rent a Lambo for the weekend. Okay? <laughs> You're going to go into your DMs on your IG. You're going to buy 25,000 fake followers and start out your guru program. Okay. That's the first step right after closing the first deal. Um, no, I, I agree with CJ and, and Leon. I, I think, you know, you just double down on what got you there in the first place. Keep it simple. Don't fall in the shiny object syndrome because to Leon's point, it, that's probably newer investors' biggest issues is that they hear all of us say, well, this is what I'm doing to ha- succeed. And this is what marketing platform I'm using. And you just go from system to system, never finding any success. And you just waste all of the money that you just made. So just double down on what got you there. All right. And Steve Trang, your opinion. So I'm actually going to answer the question um, for the next marketing move. So uh, what I would do is I would actually hire an employee to take care of all the mundane tasks. And I would go out there and start networking, you know, collaborating, meeting with all the other wholesalers in your market, going to the RIAs, uh, getting your face out there and seeing if there's a way that you can squat up, collaborate and so on. Right. Because I think that, uh, I don't want to spend money on expensive marketing. I don't want to, you know, plop a bunch of money on direct mail or, or, or TV, but I do want to get myself out there and, you know, paying someone to take care of the mundane tasks so that you can get out there and network, right? Collaborate. I mean, me getting to hang out with RJ face to face, CJ face to face, Leon face to face, like it makes a big difference uh, to your business. So that's what I would do next. All right. Gentlemen, the floor is open to build on each other's points. Anybody say anything? Yeah, they we can we check the tape? I'm pretty sure in episode one or episode two, Steve said the first thing he would do is hire a coach. Marketing. Oh, marketing. Oh, oh, oh. Marketing <laughs> move. Marketing move. Let's go back to the film. Let's go back to the film. <laughs> I think, you know, I've coached thousands of people, man. And one thing that I see is people get started. They do their first deal and they, they have this weird phrase in their head. How do I scale my business? The reality of the look, you're not ready to scale after your first deal. You don't need to go try to double your marketing. You don't need to go to try to hire a bunch of employees. Quite frankly, Steve, if your deal for the first deal was 5,000, I don't think you're ready to go hire an employee. I think you fix your processes. I think you fix your systems. Maybe even go buy Steve's sales training, but get better at converting people. Because again, if you give me 1,000 leads, you give RJ 1,000 leads, I'm going to convert more because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Steve, at, at what point would you recommend that? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say the lazy question is to ask someone else what they're doing versus what got you to where you are. The better question is, what should I be doing after I got this first deal? Because it, you may not have you know, enough funds there to go out and hire someone, which, which again, that last I checked, Steve, hiring a person isn't a marketing move. But, you know, that's gives the you time to I go marketing. To. Oh, I see. I see. The, the, the bottom line is, though, that it, when it comes to marketing, there are a million different channels. But the people that I've seen have the most success in their career did all the things that did not cost them the most to get to, and to build their foundation of their business. OK, great input from everybody. 
Um, it, we did have a comment I wanted to highlight here. Uh, Buttery Film said, you doubled down on what worked. What do you guys think about that? And that's what the first yeah, three guys said. That's, yeah. I think that's what we all said. Yeah. We're all in alignment. Two rounds in. I don't like that. Um, <laughs> let's take a look at the, uh, the polling. We have actually a, a really close tie. Let me see. Let's refresh. I'm the half point Ooh. king, so it's got to be me. We're sharing, yeah, we're sharing points on this one. RJ Bates and Chris Jefferson, 36% of the votes. How are we like getting it. ties? I like I like How it. are we getting ties? I don't like this. I don't like agreeing and I don't like tying. Somebody's going to have to step it up on this. I think one. we should have a new rule for the, for the show. If it was a tie, everyone gets zero. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. I don't think that's or fair. Let Weasel, or let Weasel break the tie. Ooh. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. Okay. Now I'm or not going to lie. That voted for Leon, what the hell they were thinking. <laughs> uh, are we going to institute the rule right now where I pick the winner? <laughs> So for this this tie, me personally, I'm gonna go with Chris Jefferson. I'm gonna go with Chris Jefferson. I'm sorry, RJ. Oh my God, man. I'm sorry. Twice the weasel at the beginning. All right. Question number three, gentlemen. You ready? <laughs> Would you rather close a big deal first or a small first deal? Let's start with RJ. Let me give you a chance. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with big deal. I'm, I'm never going to pass up the opportunity to make a significant amount of money, whether it's your first deal or, or you know, your 21st deal. I mean, the, the opportunity to make that big pop right there should not have any sort of an impact on you uh, negatively uh, unless you just are not sure of why you're running your business and, and what your goals are moving forward. If you have that big pop, on your first ever deal, that should just set you up for success because now we're probably answering that that uh, question a little bit differently than we just answered because you do have resources. A lot of us are assuming, hey, on that first deal, you're probably lucky if you're making five or six grand. You know, if you go out and you make a 50, 60, $100,000 pop, yeah, maybe now you can actually do what Steve said. You know, uh, you can't do it like the CJ's point. Can't go hire an employee if you just made $5,000. But if you make 100000 yeah, you're probably looking at things differently. I'm going to advise you to go out and set up some systems and and hire a coach to get your business set up. So absolutely the big pop right out the gate. Okay. Uh, RJ, for the record too, I loved what you just said. So I'm going to vote for you if it's under the tie, okay? <laughs> uh, let's take it to CJ. Let's go head this up right now biased. with the two champions. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going look, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I'm going to take a small first deal, actually. I think real estate is an interesting business where Often people who are brand new with, you know, not a lot of business experience, quite frankly, we're left to our own vices, our own thoughts, our own expectations. And, you know, hitting 50, $100,000 on a first deal, I think it really skews somebody's expectations of the business. That's not a common deal type that you're going to get every single month, every single deal. So creating expectations up front with a smaller deal and then building into, you know, these larger pops of deals, uh, I think is kind of the best way to go about that. So I would actually pick a small first deal. And then I'd figure out where the money resides and I'd start making the money and hitting those big pops as well. All right. Okay. Not mad at that answer. For sure. Voting for RJ though. The bigger the bag, the better. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> your opinions. So unfortunately I agree with CJ here. Uh, so, um, you know, we, we, we've seen, uh, what we've seen in the past is someone gets a big deal and they blow it, right? They start spending money, the wrong things that are spending it inappropriately. 
they're not a good steward of the capital. And what ends up happening is they buy some guru the product that they haven't vetted or, you know, they're doing the Lambo thing that RJ recommended earlier, right? Um, and you have, what you know, it's the MC Hammer effect, right? Or the TLC where you got all this money and you blow it all, right? So I think having a small deal, what you really need is you need a first deal, right? A first deal, if it's small or big, if you get a first deal, it's proof of concept. So a small deal solves that issue. The bigger deal is when you start squandering and I've seen so many people like make a big first deal and then just blow it all and their expectations are skewed uh, for their next few months. Okay. And let's close it out with Leon Barnes. So I'm going to go a slightly a different way on this question. As I read it, uh, the first time I read this question, I thought of, are we talking about a big deal in regards to how many moving parts there are on the deal? Um, or are we talking about big profit? Because if it's something that's simple and easy and it's big profit versus small profit, I'm taking big po- profits all day. But if you're looking at a deal um, and it's it's hairy and there's lots of moving parts to it, then I'm taking the smaller profit that fits more in my wheelhouse as a real estate investor. So what they said is all, all true, although I think RJ is right. I'm taking that bigger profit all day. But when it comes to if it's a big deal in regards to a lot of moving parts, I'm taking the smaller profit on a smaller, easier deal first to learn from out of the gates. Okay. Okay. Floor is open for any points to build upon with each other. Why would you guys take small profits on, on normal deals? I, I'm, I'm blown away by that. No, I'll, I'll give a thought on that, man. Look, I, I've seen so many people do their first deal. Thankfully, I've been able to teach a lot of people how to do their first deal. People that I've seen that have done huge deals is their first deal, 30, 40, 50,000. It's always harder to keep them on track. I mean, you're talking about, it's like taking an 18 year old that comes into the draft and handing them a $60 million contract. We can't have the expectation they're going to make great decisions. It's just not real. So I think giving somebody an opportunity of a smaller deal gives them the ability to work into a mode that grind that's really needed to get to this level of real estate. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's the that, expectations. That, go ahead, Steve. No, I was going to say, it's the expectations, right? Like their, their work ethic is going to be a little bit different, right? Uh, I think uh, if, it's, if they have to work hard for that first deal, it, they're going to appreciate a little bit more. If it was easy and it's a giant uh, profit deal, then they might think, oh, I can take it easy because like all my deals are going to be $50,000 deals. And then it's just not working it the way they need to work it. But based off of this theory that y'all are spitting right now, you're saying that you don't know anybody that's gone out and made $5,000 on their first deal and then made mistakes afterwards? I mean, that that's of course, a... Of course. Right. And so my point is... So, RJ, if I give you 50 grand, you're going to go buy a lot of ice skates. All right. If I give you five grand, you might get one pair and you might get Cassie a pair. All right. I think 5,000 is just easier for people to manage starting out. I, I I disagree. I think having the cushion there and the ability to actually survive when you really don't know a whole lot, it, it doesn't mean that suddenly because you made money, you're going to spend it frivolously. I mean, that's just that's you're now you're going into their mindset and their understanding of how to run a business. But I would much rather tell any of my students, I hope you go out and you make 50,000 on your first deal than 5,000, because I don't want to say, of course, hey, of course, we want them to make as much as possible on their first deal. But we're talking about realistic. We're talking about them being realistic and what we would think would be the best option. I would I personally would rather make less 
or see somebody to make less. Do we all want to make as much as possible? Sure. But I think they'd be, how many times do you go to bat and hit a home run? They'd be praying for more success if there's more struggle in the beginning. That's where I'm going with this. If it's too easy in the beginning, they're not going to get the right habits. They're going to screw up. And then it's going to be harder the rest of the way, at least for the rest of the first year. I think that's unfair. I think that's unfair to that to that investor because you guys are you're you're blanking and approaching it and saying that everyone that gets a big deal on their first deal is going to uh, frivolously spend that out of the gates, and I, I don't think that's fair. In fact, I would say having not enough funds could actually be what creates the bad habits. Having funds available to you where you can actually create processes within systems that you can now afford would allow you to create positive habits moving forward. I, I don't think that's fair to say. Could we, we agree, RJ, that most people that get into the business don't have a lot of money when they start wholesaling, don't have a lot of business experience when they start wholesaling, don't have a lot of that discipline, a lot of those principles that you're speaking of? So sure, Absolutely. you make a lot of sense with somebody that has that experience, but I think we could all professionally agree the majority of people getting started inside of wholesaling do not have that level of experience, that level of discernment when it comes to managing money, different things like that. I mean, let's just be brutally honest, right? Like, why does a lender have a draw system? A lender has a draw system because if I hand you 100000 to use for that rehab, it doesn't matter what experience you've got. If you've been dicking around on other rehabs and robbing Peter to pay Paul, it doesn't matter about your experience. It doesn't matter about any of that. I don't know that I can trust you with that money yet. So I this think people just want to build into that. This also allows them to go out and hire someone like Steve Train to help them learn how to convert leads. It allows somebody to hire Chris Jefferson. I mean, I don't know why they would actually do that. If they really <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one here saying I want you to make money. <laughs> Great points all around the board. Great points all around. Um, I have to Good say day. I'm still team RJ on this one, but I don't make the decisions. Uh, really quickly before we close out the voting poll, I wanted to highlight there was a comment here from Bam Bam704. He said, from firsthand experience, the first checks can affect you bad if you've never had money before. Good point. Great point. All right. And the voting is closing out, and it looks like we've got a second round for Steve Trang, the self-proclaimed Sherpa that you need on Mount Everest. <laughs> <laughs> Told you I was going to introduce you like that. Thank you. Appreciate that. Question number four, gentlemen. Oh. You guys ready? Go ahead. All right. Let's go. What's better, wholesaling in your market or virtually in another market? Steve, let's go ahead and start with you. Uh, so for me, I would say doing it physically in your market, I think virtually is something that you can progress to down the road. It might be a little bit harder today with the way things are going, but uh, I'm in one of the toughest markets in the country in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, but you know, I think that knowing the lay of the land, knowing the neighborhood, having access to all the tradespeople uh, and being able to negotiate belly to belly is going to give me more likelihood of success than trying to do it over the phone. The other thing too is, you know, um, and talking to another person, uh, in a lot of markets, being face-to-face -face carries a lot of weight and also helps in negotiations because you can't tell when a person's leaning backwards. You can't tell when they cross their arms uh, on a call and you can push a little bit harder. You have larger margins. You have, so, locally. All right, let's go to Leon Barnes. I love how they just cut his mic. I love that. <laughs> Great job, team. So, this wholesaling in your backyard first is the answer. Um, Eric Brewer, uh, who I'm sitting in here for, has done a great 
study on his own personal business on in-person appointments versus virtual and the closing percentage of those deals. Um, so wholesaling in your backyard, in your home market to start is the answer. But I will say, because Mr. Steve Trang is Mr. Worldwide with his podcast here, we have a lot of uh, foreign investors that do not or cannot wholesale in their country, that wholesale in this country. They don't have that option. And I have seen them be very successful, whether that's from Israel, Canada, uh, uh, Italy, other countries, you can do it virtually and be successful. But if you have the option, start in your backyard. It is amazing how many Israelis wholesale in the United States. It's nuts. All right, let's go over to RJ Bates. Yeah, so obviously our our business is nationwide virtual wholesaling. So I'm going to go with virtual. And and part of the reason why is exactly what Steve said. For, for the people that are in a market like Phoenix, Arizona, that is extremely saturated. It's difficult. It's hard to even find a way to get a belly-to-belly -belly appointment in a market like Phoenix, Arizona, that they're not going to have 20 other appointments with another wholesaler. Uh, we believe in the ability to go into the markets that are less saturated, easier to find motivation in the market, places in the Midwest, the Sunbelt states. Uh, we've seen it time and time again where we've taken someone from an extremely difficult local market, put them in a virtual market, and they've succeeded right out the gates. All right. And in conclusion, CJ, your thoughts? Yeah, so look – I, let's just be really honest right now. Virtual wholesaling is nothing more than actual wholesaling. Virtual wholesaling is literally a marketing term that was created to sell people courses like 10, 12 years ago. All right, let's just be super brutal right now. If you are going to wholesale, it's not about your backyard or virtual market. It's where it makes the most sense to actually go wholesale. What I have found is you can do the best deals. RJ's called all states, so he'll agree, I think. If you call markets with population sizes between 200,000 and 350,000 people, you are going to absolutely crush it with wholesaling. All right. The Memphis, Tennessee's, the Chattanooga's, the Birmingham, Alabama's, the Huntsville's. Those are the places where you can go and do a large volume of deals and make a whole lot of money. And the process between virtual and, and wholesaling in your backyard isn't that different aside from just really a couple of key team members. So I would tell people to pick the markets that make sense to do business, to give you a return on your capital, not you know, just trying to be in your own backyard because you live in Phoenix or be here or be there. Go where the money's at. So I have a question for RJ. Um, not trying to be the debate side. I'm just curious at this moment. How are you seeing what's going on in today's market affecting nationwide, right? Because there's, there's uh, I think you might have to be more of an expert today to kind of discern the deals. Whereas earlier, you know, uh, Q1 of this year, you lock up a deal. doesn't matter how good or how bad you got it. You know, you could probably find someone willing to buy it. I think now you need to yeah. be more more of an expert. How's that affecting your guys' business? Well, it, it has impacted some of it, but you know we utilize Investor Lift due to you in introducing me to it, and and that helps a lot. Having those conversations with your buyers, asking, hey, what adjustments are you making? Is is it do I need to discount the ARV before we make our offer? Are you looking to buy at a deeper percentage than you were two three months ago? And those are the conversations that our, our Dispo guys are having on a regular basis. But to, to CJ's point, um, I completely agree. I mean, it's that's what we do here. I mean, we're not marketing regularly in Montana. Have we done deals this year in Montana? Yes. 
but we are going to the markets where we know we can make money all day, every day. The Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Little Rock, Arkansas. Those are the places that we're marketing consistently. Look, guys, I, I'm with you that virtual. there's a lot of very successful virtual wholesalers. But in the question is, what's better, uh, especially for those that are listening that are thinking about which, which one they should choose? Personally, I think because of your resources in your backyard, your relationships, the networking opportunities, like we talked about earlier with what's your next marketing move. There's a lot of free opportunities to develop relationships, to get leads. And so if I were starting out and I were looking at the better option, unless you're in San Francisco or Phoenix or Miami and some of these very, very competitive marketplaces, I'm going to my backyard. Average cost think- for Average cost per deal here in Dallas-Fort Worth is probably going to run you somewhere between four to $6,000, where I can go into a place like uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and if I have $400, I'm going to come out with more. Crush it. Crush it. Yeah, I think, and RJ made actually a really strong point, I think, too, that we have to also recognize, I do a lot of virtual wholesaling across the country, right? We have to recognize that the market has shifted I've been talking a lot to my students about now we need to really be approaching this with a white glove experience, right? Like I need to be talking to buyers in each local market where we have deal placement at, Hey, what are you currently looking for? What are your current needs? Where are you buying at on ARV? What are your lenders saying they're willing to approve you for hard money loans at so that you can then reverse engineer on the front end on acquisitions to really determine what your buy point needs to be. But when it comes again to virtual or non-virtual wholesaling, I hear you guys mention like a lot of these major cities, but what about the the vast majority of people who don't live in those cities that live in a lot of these more rural areas that live in these mm-hmm. small towns that will hear you guys say, yeah, virtual like wholesale in your backyard, but they're not going to realistically even do deals in their backyard. If we're just being honest, the guy that's one of my students in Roanoke, Virginia, he might be under the impression that he can do a bunch of deals there, but I can tell him point blank that it's not going to happen. Right. He's got to go move into a stronger market. And so, like I said earlier, again, population size, guys. 200,000, 350,000, the Fort Wayne, Indianas and stuff like that. You can get in there with a a small budget when you're just getting started and you can absolutely go run up a lot of money in those places. I can't believe that Chris said that virtual wholesaling is a guru strategy to sell more courses. People are just, everyone's getting attacked left and right. No one's safe. No one's safe. Don't, don't, don't listen. Don't shoot the messenger. All right. But before I've been around for a long time, it was just wholesaling. All right. I'm not going to say the person's name. All right. But it was just wholesaling. And then it became virtual wholesaling. Are you Why referencing someone with really nice shoes? Is that who you're referencing? Perhaps. Perhaps. All right. But it, it, it became virtual wholesaling because somebody was selling a virtual wholesaling course. I'm saying this is somebody who sells a lot of courses. All right. So it's, it's just it's the same exact thing. It's just a difference. You're changing and swapping out some team members. All right. Uh, We have a comment that we'd like to highlight. It looks like they agree uh, on taking the virtual route. Cassie DeHaas said, you can get your experience in a variety of markets as well, which really refines your skills. I like that answer. I think we need to clarify that that is RJ's boss. So (laughs) eliminated. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Looks like the she writes his checks. Oh, well, I mean, you technically write mine, too, so. I gave you a point. She, she needs to start commenting. She needs to start voting is what needs to happen. Uh, the votes are in, and it looks like, drum roll, Chris Jefferson took the win again. Okay, okay, it's on like, board. It looks like, like a landslide. It looks like a landslide. 
All right. Question number five. More important to long-term success, company culture or systems and processes? Chris Jefferson, let's start with you. CJ. Man, that's tough, man. Um, Long-term success, I'm going to really say systems and processes. I think systems and processes are going to drive your company culture at the end of the day. You know, you're only going to be as good as your core values. You're only going to be as good as the training that you have for your team. That in itself is what, in my opinion, is really going to create, nurture, cultivate, uh, you know, the culture of your business. So, you know, I'm 110% always going to be a systems and process guy. If you build that out correctly, structure a strong team around that. You yourself as leadership show that you honor those values as well. And you can actually get in the trenches and do the work. Uh, you're going to have an amazingly great culture. People are going to rally around you. And you guys as a team are going to make tons of money together. So systems and processes for me. All right. Let's go RJ Bates for the follow-up. Yeah, I'm going to mirror everything that CJ just said. I'm going to go with systems and processes uh, because I think if you have those in place, to CJ's point, I think that's where you create that positive company culture. Uh, I, I think that can be developed over the course of time because I think if you're if you're going back to the beginning, you say, hey, we're going to have this great culture about us, but you don't have systems and processes and there's no success. Oh, people might love working for the company, but if they're not made – that they're not able to pay their bills and the, the business is not going to sustain itself because you don't have the appropriate systems and processes, then you're going to fail. And so I think ultimately that's the, the key to everything in business. It starts with the systems that you choose and then the processes that you develop yourself for your business. I think that's the, the ultimate key to long-term success. All right. Let's jump over to Leon Barnes. So I'm going to go a little bit different here. Uh, for me, for long-term success, you've heard me say now for two weeks, culture is very, very important to me. And to me, culture is what uh, attracts and retains top talent. Now, don't get me wrong. Systems and processes, I'm a good friend of Gary Harper, and he preaches it, and I make sure that I preach it with him because it is important. But for me, having run teams in the past, not only on a, on a corporate level, but also a real estate team as well, when I can retain, when I can attract and retain top talent, that top talent truly defines my long-term success on my systems and processes. It, they help define those systems and processes. And systems and processes, last I checked, doesn't necessarily attract those top players. So for me, it's culture first, and then that culture helps define the great systems and processes that we need for long-term success. All right, and let's close it out with uh, Steve Trang. I think CJ was so wrong that we should just take his points <laughs> off the board, right? Uh, so Peter Drucker, right? He said, culture is strategy for breakfast, right? Like you can have great systems processes, and I think it's important, right? But it's not one or the other. But if I have to pick, if I was going to be an A in one and B in the other, I would pick culture over uh, systems and process all day because, you know, like every business starts off as sales and marketing, it evolves into systems, uh, systems and processes. But at the end of the day, the people, right, the people run the business. Uh, if you look at uh, Southwest Airlines, right, like you can go, there have, been, there have been people that try to replicate Southwest Airlines, right, with the systems and processes, but without the culture, without the people, it's just another airline. So I think the culture is what differentiates you, uh, helps you, again, find top talent and, and more importantly, retain top talent. 
Uh, Let me give a quick example of this real quick. Let me jump in here because from a a team perspective, having been a former high school basketball coach and and AAU coach in the summertime, I can take a great team unit with great culture that doesn't have great X's and O's and beat a team that has less of culture, less of chemistry, but runs great plays. Nine times out of 10, I'm beating that team. To me, culture is is so important to an organization's long-term success because if you have great systems and processes, but you have poor culture, it, I don't think you can continue to be successful long-term. So if, yeah. you have, if you have great culture, though, but you don't have any systems and processes, what it, what are you – as a business, what are you doing? Right. It didn't National say, RJ, it didn't. It didn't say it didn't say that you don't. It says what's more important. Yeah, it's not either or. It's not either or. It's not it's not either. But it's like which one would you prefer? Can we not make the assumption though, guys, that if the question states more important to long term success, I think we could safely assume. Now I, I dropped out of college. I don't know about you, gentlemen. You guys look pretty smart. All right, I dropped out of college, but <laughs> I think from reading comprehension classes that I could probably figure out that this means that this is a conversation that's have as a business on the front end. To determine how we can have long-term success, I think so. If I you think have, you can talk about you can talk about culture, but how do you have culture in the beginning of a business when you're trying to project and plan for you are the culture? You got You are the culture. You're the leader. You define but, it. Uh, but I, I would say if it was company culture or systems and processes, one or the other, and you had to pick one, I think you're out of business. I don't think you run a business if you don't have both. I agree I with agree. that. I would also say that. Your systems and processes can develop your culture over the course of time. And that's my point is, is that if early on, point, that's how I read it. If I have systems and processes, I'm going to be able to go out and recruit talent because I'm going to be able to show them, hey, we're set up for success. And then I'm going to bring in that top talent and develop the culture uh, inside. I think if I go work at Titanium, I'm working for RJ. I'm not working for RJ Systems. Right. You are the culture. Uh, when when I when I first started, no one cared about RJ. They might not have I known mean, who you were, and you're still not very popular. But back then, <laughs> it was because what I interviewed with RJ is like I really like this guy. I like where he's going. Right? I want to work for this guy. Right? It's not about how famous you were. It was titanium, though. Was the fact that we had a business set up? They could see the vision because they thought, okay, hey, we're going to come in. We're going to do this inside of your business, I now understand it. If it's, hey, this is going to be a really cool place and I'm a really cool guy and we're going to have this great culture together. That, okay, how do we go? How do I make money? How do I pay my bills? Yeah, so, RJ, can I, let me jump in for RJ too because, you know, it's not often that we agree, all right? Look, <laughs> I, I hear you guys on all this country company culture stuff and all of that and that all sounds real fancy and cool and nice, but people want to make money, okay? Yeah. People want to make money, all right? You know what drives company culture? When everybody's making money and everybody's feeling good and we're all aligned with our core values, that's when you drive company culture, right? When people hit me up and I speak on stage and they say, how did you develop this crazy culture at Charged Up University, the you? Everybody's going crazy because I got in the trenches up front, right? Leadership. I got in the trenches up front. I'm on the phones. I'm showing them how to do this, showing them how to do that. And people start to make money. And when people start to make money, people feel good. And that, to me, is what drives culture. I disagree with that. If so, I'm work, if I'm part of so, Supercharge, I want to work with CJ. I love what what the energy <laughs> CJ brings. 
the reason that I'm I'm on this side, on the culture side, guys, is taking over teams that didn't have systems processes and no culture. I didn't start by going in and diving into let's get nerdy and get, get into these systems and processes. Let's develop our team and our, our long-term uh, core values and the culture first. We can always figure out what we're missing on that other side. So for me, again, most important, not saying that systems and process are not because they are super, super important, but I'm going to work for that culture first because I can build off of that. All right. I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. One more point before we uh, go I, to the chat. I was just going to say, I, I find that adorable. I mean, I, I really, <laughs> <laughs> you're new hire, you say, okay, you're my acquisitions guy. I don't know how you're actually going to acquire property today, but let's sit down and talk about our core values as a company. He's going to be like, bro, I am out of here. RJ, let's, let's, let's share a Budweiser. RJ, let's share a Budweiser and talk about how we might make some money yeah. one day. I don't know what we're doing. We don't have a script. I don't have a list yet, but I mean, look, man, I'm excited. All right, we're going to do this together. The culture is great here. Let's go play Nintendo. Well, it didn't say if you're. It didn't say if you're in startup phase. It says what's most important to long-term Listen, success. I love systems and process. Like, don't forget, right? I'm a recovering engineer. I'm just saying, long-term success, the people versus the systems. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and tally up the votes really quickly. Uh, a couple chats that I'll highlight. Um, Larry Bush said he disagrees with CJ. It's never either or. But bad culture sabotages good systems and processes. Interesting take. Great point. Great point. Uh, Gene Knows Hoops said Leon is 100% correct. Now, Leon, I got to be honest with you. Gene Knows Hoops is a Lakers fan, so I don't think he knows about positive culture. So I don't know if you can take that. <laughs> 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 <That's> <laughs> and the votes are in. It looks like Leon Barnes took it. So congrats Ooh. to Leon Barnes All on right. the board. All is right. this, is this, is this Leon's first, uh, first round? Is this, first, this is my first true point. First yes. full round. Okay. First full round. Yeah. All right. All right. Here we go. I like it. I like it. I like On the board. It. On the board. Thank you, CJ. All right. And then we, as we always do, we close out with a uh, question that was asked by the viewers. So today's question, the last question of the day is going to be, what is the best lead management approach or technique? Uh, Leon, let's start with you. You're on a hot streak. Best lead management technique. Approach That's or the technique. Question? Approach or technique. Lead approach best lead management or... approach or technique. Yes. I need some more clarity on that question. Understand. Yeah, I don't understand the question. Mutual I can answer. venture. Go ahead. Uh, whoever wants to take it, and maybe we can build on that. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll answer it. So, from my perspective, in terms of like lead management, I think I got this originally from Brent Daniels, but I look at it very simply, right? Like again, I dropped out of college, so I do a pretty simple business. So, if a lead comes in for us, it's a yes, maybe, or no. A no is anybody who says, stop calling me, cusses me out, whatever. I'm going to do not call list. That's a no. We take them out of there. We're not dealing with those people anymore. Anybody who's a maybe is anybody, oh, I might sell in six months. I'm waiting for my kids to get out of school. I got to talk to my wife. All those people go into a bucket of maybe. Anybody who's a yes is somebody interested in selling the next 30, 60, or 90 days. And so from there, anybody who's interested in selling the next 30, 60, or 90 days must always get an offer. And they should always go into whatever lead management system you're using as well so that you can create a follow-up process for all of your maybes and all of your yeses. But that's how I would answer that question. Okay. Okay. Uh, anyone else want to kind of sign up since we got a little bit of 
confusion on the question? So, for, uh, so I'm going to read the question a different way. Sure. Uh, but basically, like how to okay. handle inbound uh, lead, right? That's how I take that as best lead management. So if someone calls on your mailer, uh, calls on a TV ad, PPC, whatever, I, the we, we teach everyone to ask the same uh, four questions, right? How did you hear about us? And I know that we know how they heard about us, right? But they don't know that. So like, how did you hear about us? Next question is, what about that ad caught your attention, right? And they might say it was a cash offer, quick close, stay as long as you want, whatever it is. And then, so the third question is, how does that apply to you? So now we're kind of figuring out what is their pain? What is the situation? Why are they reaching out? And then the fourth question is, can I share with you how these calls normally go? Because if you don't start dictating how the call is going to go, calls can go all over the place. So the same four questions, how did you hear about us? What about that caught your eye? Uh, how does that apply to you? And can I tell you, can I share with you how these calls normally go? That's how we handle uh, inbound lead, inbound calls. Okay, okay. Uh, Leon, any thoughts on it now? Yeah, so I'm going to go a little bit different route, uh, and it, it will relate back to our culture and systems and process just a few seconds ago. The biggest thing that I would say, these guys gave you great answers on you know the techniques of going through that. I would just say this is that all too often this position is overlooked. So if you're doing this on your own, you know, and if you're looking at hiring someone in this role in the lead manager role, I would simply say this, do not underestimate this position. This position in your organization is your director of first impressions. You have to make sure that you have the right personality in this seat and someone that is a problem solver, that is a great listener. Do not underestimate this position because I would argue it's one of the, if not the most important role on your team. 100% the most important role on your team. Leon is, just gave everybody a lot of game just now. Your, your lead manager is effectively your quarterback. They got to know everybody's route. They got to know the entire playbook. They got to know exactly where everybody's supposed to be on the field. And they've got to be able to get the ball in the hands of the people who make plays. So I, I, I honestly think, yes, a lead manager, 110% is your most important role in your business. Have we heard from RJ on this yet? We don't need to. We haven't. No, I, I, I <laughs> are different questions. So I was trying to figure out my own question I was going to answer. Um, well, I think to CJ's point, we're pretty similar. I just cut out the maybe. It's either yes or no, or it just stays in a, a no status until we get a yes or no. Um, and then to Steve's point on the inbound lead, it's pretty similar. Uh, we're not necessarily asking them about where did you hear about us um, because we are also doing a, 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 a ton of outbound marketing where we're receiving intern return calls. So we already know that, and I want to make everything in Titanium as quick and efficient as possible. So we try to cut out a lot of the fluff there. Um, and, and so we're just kind of going into, you know, why are you looking to sell? You know, what's your, what's your asking price? And just go into the sales process. And, and to Leon's point about having the lead manager there, you know, being an extremely important part of your business, couldn't agree anymore. I mean, it, it's, that's, that's the first impression that you're going to give to the seller. So it's extremely important that they, like you said, listening, they're understanding their issues and then they're putting the solution in place for them. Okay. Okay. Now I know we were a little unclear on, on the question at first, but it looks like it formulated into some really, really good opinions and, and views. Um, so I don't think we should grade each other off that one. It was a great question. We figured it out. So I'm going to throw you guys a curveball. I was going to say, maybe you give RJ a pity point. 
<laughs> Ouch. No pity points on my watch, all right? Full points. Wait, did, I, did, did RJ get around a today? I'm just... Hmm. I, I did. I tied you, I'm, and we all no, no, you a point. We need Carlos on here. Yeah, get, let's get Carlos to have figure it out. I'm giving you a chance right now to earn a full-fledged point. 1.0, not a point five, not a point seven five point. One full point. Curveball question. Let's keep it rapid fire. Um, this one is going to be very simple. What is the best social media platform for brand building if you could only use one? So we'll go virtual left to right. We'll go uh, Steve starting us off. Uh, building a brand. Um, if, if, if I could only pick one, I would pick YouTube. Uh, it, you're you're going to have the hardest uh, ability to reach people, but... If people are on your on, on your YouTube channel, they're they're sold on you. They are fully committed uh, to working with you in one capacity or another. So, uh, for me, what's most important is the effectiveness of the channel, uh, not necessarily reach, followers, and likes. So, for that, I would say I would say YouTube. All right, let's go uh, to his right, Leon Barnes. So, if I'm a real estate investor, uh, for me, it would be Facebook, and here's why. I know that that that. Facebook can be one of those where the younger audience isn't uh, necessarily plugged into it, but our average age of the seller that is calling us is still on Facebook, and that's typically, it does trend young, uh, older. So I, I personally, if I'm a real estate investor, I'm building the brand on Facebook because I'm looking at getting potential seller leads, and there's a mix, a great mix of both young and older uh, audience. So for me, it would be Facebook. Okay, let's go on to RJ Bates. Your thought on what the best social media platform for brand building would be? Yeah, it's TikTok all day long. Uh, there's nothing <laughs> out there right now that is performing anywhere close to that. And, and Leon's laughing about this, but here's the deal. We are actually having to track the amount of houses that we're buying from TikTok now. People are watching my TikTok videos. They're seeing me actually do this business, not sit there like Carlos Reyes and talk about how I lost weight or something along those lines. They actually are doing real estate, okay? And they're like, that guy will buy my house. He actually buys houses. So they're calling me. And the ability to immediately grow your audience, get reach, go viral, you're not going to get that from YouTube. You're not going to get that from Instagram because you're not going to get the help from Facebook on your Instagram Reels like we actually get. So for me, it's TikTok all day long. Okay. Okay. And let's shoot it over to the U and CJ close us out. Yeah, man. I, I want to point out too, real quick. I, I find it kind of interesting and fascinating how Steve spoke from the perspective first of a personal brand and, you know, what could give the best reach for that. And then Leon kind of spoke from a company brand standpoint. I think it's a good thing to point out because you can build different types of brands for, for different type of intent. Um, for me, you know, uh, I built my brand largely based on IG, you know, doing Instagram lives, doing different things. And that was very successful for me. Right now, we're literally looking at like, hey, do we do YouTube? Do we do TikTok? I think TikTok is really it. And I'm going to say why I think that's it, because I agree with Steve at the same time. I've really kind of been torn between the two. But from just doing a lot of research in the last couple of weeks for my own personal brand, I really think it is TikTok. They get more views, more reach than any other platform currently, more users. It's not a young person's platform anymore. If you can, and I'm sure RJ's already doing this, but if you go on TikTok and you can create a way to get traffic, harness traffic, and then direct traffic somewhere, uh, you can make a substantial amount of money from what I'm seeing on TikTok that you can't get on YouTube. You can't necessarily get on IG. YouTube, yes, I think is great for building a brand and extending your brand. 
But in terms of direct reach to people, which I think is really, really important, I think TikTok right now just gets you there faster than anything else. And when CJ says his team's doing research on whether to do YouTube or TikTok, <laughs> they're actually just looking at my TikTok and saying, how <laughs> <laughs> actually gonna go talk to sellers he doesn't actually do that yeah no i think what we're doing is we're looking at rj's tiktok and say wait like how can we get somebody with a better smile more handsome with a better beard (laughs) to do tiktoks also and just do the exact same video so what i've learned is my old ass needs to get on tktok because i'm still stuck on facebook Uh, well, to, well, Leon, to, to your credit, at least you didn't earlier. say MySpace. At least you didn't say MySpace. <laughs> they wouldn't have been able to bail you out. Facebook's not a bad answer. It's, it's, hey, it's, kudos well, to I, RJ to for locking point, deals. Though, on, on, yeah, uh, thanks for the education on that. And to CJ's point, it depends on what type of brand that you're building. I mean, there's each one of them have um, great reach and great resources for, for personal brands, business brands. And um, so... You can use different platforms for, depending upon what type of brand you're building. And, you know, I'll, I'll uh, give her- um, just real quick, RJ, this is actually a plus for you. Um, what uh, RJ, uh, he shared with me some time ago, he raised unlimited private money from his podcast, right? So just podcast gets honorable mention. Go ahead, RJ. <laughs> yeah, so what I was going to use a specific example. Last Friday, I was live on YouTube. And, and I was texting and I was showing people how I use batch leads and all of this, done this hundreds of times at this point. I get a call, I answer it, and the guy's like, yeah, I got your phone number off of TikTok. Um, I've got a house under contract in Mobile, Alabama. I want to JV it with you. Boom, 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 boom. That was the deal I locked up during my life. Forget everything else that was going on. He saw me on TikTok and that's what got me the deal during that two hour live. So. Wow. That's awesome. All right. All right. So we got some good uh, feedback in the chat, too. Yeah, he probably deserves half a point for that. He, he's going to get a full point, an unofficial full point, <laughs> quarter point on the weasel scoreboard. <laughs> but that scoreboard is not important right now. Um, <laughs> the chat has said right now it's TikTok. Uh, Cassie DeHaas said to build a brand, not YouTube. It takes too long. But YouTube, if you have a brand for sure. Uh, Josh Olai said TikTokers are broke, though. Not these TikTokers. Not <laughs> well, they're broke, so they have to sell their house to RJ. It actually works in his favor. Uh, I guess we're getting voting <laughs> closed out here. Any last second thoughts on the on the uh, question before we get these votes tallied up? Yeah, I want to know how Steve Train just won that when he basically didn't say anything the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the breaking news. Steve Train with 34%. That actually... That actually puts you in the lead for the day, Steve. That's a W. I will take it. I will take it. The fix is in. The fix is in. (laughs) Thank you, Supercharged. Thank you, (laughs) RJ's VAs for the votes. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, that's that's all the questions for today. Um, before we log off, let me go ahead one more time. Virtual left to right. Give us any last second thoughts. Uh, anything you guys want to shout out, plug, and then we'll uh, conclude the episode. So, Steve, go ahead. The the reigning champion for this week. Uh, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Right? Like we all run our businesses differently. So I think you know there's so much to take here. Like just don't take one person's word as gospel. You know, we all have different styles and take what makes sense to you. The thing that people always say, like, what do you look for in a mentor? I say, I look for someone that resonates with me, right? We got four guys here that are are respectable, 
Uh, Leon doesn't talk about this. He represents Collective Genius here, but he actually runs a business, right? He actually also runs a wholesaling business. He's just really quiet about it. You have four guys here that are running businesses, real businesses. So take what makes sense for you and apply it. That's the last thing. Apply it. Okay. Leon? Yeah, to, to Steve's point, uh, I don't think there's anything on this uh, episode today that we disagreed at a level that um, any of us felt like uh, it wasn't. It was just a dumb answer. No, right? CJ gave a really stupid answer. Maybe, yeah, maybe <laughs> one or two, right? But but to, to Steve's point, there is a ton here, and I say this uh, in CG all the time: is that take one thing that you learned here today um, and try to apply that. We talked earlier about shiny objects and chasing after that first deal, trying to do too many things. Take one and, and get really, really stinking good at that. If you haven't, uh, what's the book? Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, multi, uh, uh, ten, uh, The Law of 10,000. Get really stinking good at one thing and then Outliers. move on from there. Outliers, thank you very much. R.J. Bates. Yeah, July 14th, 2022 will be forever the day that I uh, I now have a new why. Um, I'm going to start every future podcast moving forward with my goal in life is to create 101 millionaires. <laughs> I'm going to get bigger trophies and I'm going to do it faster than him. So thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. And if you're listening today, remember Steve loves three star reviews on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And to conclude, CJ. Man, uh, yeah, I, I agree with everybody's sentiments, what everybody had to say as far as, you know, going out, taking action, being intentional. Uh, you know, we're all taking times out of our day to hang out with you guys, to talk about what's working, to talk about our viewpoints. Uh, you know, you don't have to follow any one thing. I think something that's important in real estate is to not have this copy and paste kind of mentality about certain things, you know, to be able to intake information, be able to think through it and kind of come up with your own thought process of what makes sense in your market, what makes sense inside of your business, what makes sense inside of your company culture. Uh, so continue to tune in every week, man. This is super fun. Uh, just getting to hang out with you guys, getting able to kind of even share a viewpoint on, uh, you know, different things uh, is always fun and exciting. Uh, shout out to everybody, Weasel, the team in the back, uh, making sure that everything kind of goes off without a hitch uh, and that Steve wins. Uh, but uh, mm -hmm. definitely enjoy today, man. And uh, I'll see you guys next week. All right. <laughs> Let's go, baby. Let's go. Well done. <laughs> Well done. Got him fired up in the back. <laughs> you see the celebration? <laughs> Steve Trang brings it home for Team Disruptors. I appreciate everybody for your insight this week. Uh, it's amazing to be able to sit here and, and listen to you guys speak so knowledgeably on all the topics. So we appreciate it. To the viewers, thank you guys for tuning in and submitting the comments and the questions. We're here each and every Thursday. We'll be back next week for week five. And hopefully Steve will have on a new collared shirt. You guys take care. Have a great week, all right? <laughs>